I'm Leslie O'Connell for Inside Berkeley. In this episode, we talk to voice professor Livingston Taylor, whose stage performance techniques class is among Berkeley's most popular courses. He tells his students, we need an audience. The audience doesn't need us. That's just one of the aphorisms he's coined to guide performers looking to make their mark on the industry. He also coaches students to be ferociously curious and lives by example through his own professional experience. Taylor joins us today at the Burns Studio to unpack his advice, share his impressions of a changing industry, and offer some stories about his experience as a touring musician. Welcome to Inside Berkeley, Liv. Thanks for being with us here today. Thank you, Leslie. Nice to see you. Good to see you, too. So I wanted to start off by just really talking about what makes performance tick. Around Berkeley, you are known as the stage performance guru. Well, I teach a course called Stage Performance Techniques, and I've taught that here for 28-odd years. Uh, I was asked to come and teach at Berkeley by Rob Rose, and he asked if I'd come and teach a performance class, both of us being aware that if you can't perform it, uh, it doesn't do you much good. And so we're all about presenting. How do we present our vision Who do we present our vision to and how do we make sure that it gets across? And most importantly, how do we create a space, a place, a a vision that competes favorably with other people who were trying to do the same thing? So there are a lot of people in competition for discretionary, for free time for discretionary money. And NFL football, Major League Baseball, Jell-O mud wrestling, video games, it's all out there and it's all competing for uh, discretionary time and money. And I want it all to be spent on my students. So how, how do you separate the average from the exemplary in terms of a performer? What, what are the secrets to good performance? The core secret of good performance is to be aware that you need your audience a lot more than they need you. They have choices. As a performer, you have none. You need that audience. And the question then becomes, what does the audience want? What do they need? And what they need, above all else, is to be of value. They need to be seen. They need to be told that their presence has value, that they are loved and needed by you. And that makes them feel very good about themselves. Now, that in itself is core, but also you have to tell them a good story. Your lyrics have to be clear. Your visions have to be sharp. Your melodies have to be accurate. Your time has to be regular and very focused. And if you do those things, well... In your presence, they will feel good, and they will come back and see you time and time again because you made them feel good about themselves. 
And they also know they're in good hands, right? Yeah, it's all it's all part of the same thing. They're they're not they're not going to let down their guard if your time is irregular, because you're not safe, and they do need to be safe in your presence. They need to believe that you've got them. Yeah, I remember that's I sat in on one of your classes, and that was really the key message that day that you can have the foundation, the skills, and the foundation, but that's that's just point number one that's essential, but then you need to take it a step further. Well, when you perform, again, they already have a life. It's a good life. They don't need you. You need them. So they need to be seen, and you need to watch your creativity land. Watch it tumble amongst them. See how they're doing in the presence of your vision. Some are delighted. Others are bored. Sometimes they're preoccupied and there's nothing you could do. For instance, let's say you've got a show in a German pub and Germany's competing in the finals of World Cup soccer. They won it a couple of years ago. Right. (laughs) And you can't compete with that. And so you do what you do. But maybe in the 300 people... Maybe there are two people who don't like soccer. Good. You find them. You play to them. But that requires that you be aware of where you are, that you be aware of the space that you're in, that you watch your music land, that you drink in all the details of the moment. And that requires that you be very practiced and focused. Now, I'm thinking that class that I sat in on of yours, it was almost a meta example of you were exercising these very techniques as a professor. And I remember that day you looked out the window and you were riffing on everything from the invention of the car and the bicycle to the percentage of nitrogen in the atmosphere. And I thought, where is he going with this? But you had them. Well, make no mistake, uh, teaching is performing. Of course. And uh, good teachers are good performers. And they see their students. And they watch it land. And they see when they're bored. One of the great problems in classrooms is ambient white noise. Um, if So often classrooms are polluted with, uh, with 50, 60 decibels of white noise. And then a teacher has to shout above that. Very, very difficult. Um, Silence and stillness are very important in both, uh, uh, in any type of performance, teaching uh, being one of the modes of of, uh, entertaining. It can be powerful, right? Oh, yes. You're a touring musician. Yes. So you put this into practice in your professional yeah. life outside of Berkeley. Wondering if you have any stories from the road about this very thing where these stage performance techniques come into play. Or... All day, every day. One of my favorite things is to do a show and have a former student or a present student and their and or their parents. And they just see... I'll I'll look at them and go, is this what I've been talking about in class? And they'll laugh and say, yeah. That ability 
to watch your music land, to be in the moment, and to be so practiced and so rehearsed that one-third of your energy goes in to playing your music, singing your song, and two-thirds, and that's about the ratio, two-thirds go in to processing the moment, seeing it, understanding it as it's going past, and then uh, putting your music into the already existing world. Does anything stick out to you? Any favorite story? Well, just the other day, for example, I was down uh, playing the Franklin Theater in Franklin, Tennessee. That's just south of Nashville. So that's for all intents and purposes. That's Nashville, Tennessee. I walk into this theater and I just listen, as I usually do. And there is a new phenomena with LED, light-emitting diode, lights. And these light-emitting diodes require, um, uh, to keep the diode from failing, they require heat management. So you've got cooling fans in these light-emitting diodes. And I walked in there, and these fans were cranking literally 50 decibels of white noise polluting the stage. And so I said to the people running, we, we need to get these things quiet. Um, now, if I were new and starting out, uh, they would uh, tell me to go jump. But I'm not starting out. And so I've brought in enough audience who are paying me enough money and paying the theater enough money that they will actually tolerate my being persnickety. And so I got these fans turned off. We used a different type of lighting. And it just made a huge difference to not have that background noise. And the people who ran the theater understood what it meant to the phrase that I often use about this is, silence is the canvas on which we paint. Finding silence is very hard and absolutely essential if you can. Now, be advised early in your career, you can't find it because you got no audience base to demand it. Don't worry. You'll get the audience. You'll be able to demand it. And when you can, you should. Now, just taking off on that idea of silence, um, I wanted to get your take on the changes you've seen in the industry over the years. And one thing that's come to my mind, which would be interesting to hear you talk about, um, just the competition, really, with social media, with folks on their phones, perhaps while they're at a performance, mm -hmm. to get that silence and attention. Do you find that that's a competing factor more so these days? And any other changes in the industry that might be useful to talk about? Well, certainly the most profound change for all of us is the intermingling of the internet with our lives. What the internet did in terms of music is it eviscerated the distribution channels that we had depended on for a, a financial flow. So 
record distribution, the selling of records and that conduit of income, of money, back to the record companies. And uh, uh, we like to think that the record companies were sort of these big, awful monoliths, but the truth is that great art is the result of wealth concentrating talent. And where we are now is we've eviscerated the income streams that allowed individuals, what I call gatekeepers, to concentrate talent. And so now it's a wide open world where everybody has access and in a funny sense, nobody has access. Nobody's making a decision. What we lost with the internet weren't the creators. They're still there. We lost the gatekeepers that concentrate the creators. So, again, the Sistine Chapel exists. And Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. But it only exists because the Catholic Church concentrated the wealth, was willing to hire not only Michelangelo, but hire an architect, lost to history, hired builders, even further lost to history, build with materials that are so good that they withstand the centuries. So make no mistake, great art is wealth concentrating talent. So I am all about my students making money, but not making money to make stupid money so they can have a car or some silly trinket. Making money so they can bring next to them the best of the best. Because I'm here to tell you, when you hear your music played by the Boston Pops, it sounds better than anything you've ever heard before. God, you're going to have a good time. That's a moment to strive for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but again, it doesn't happen without resource. So uh, uh, let's figure out. I love saying to my students, we are here for one reason, and that's because you and or the people who love you and support you have financed our being together. I need that to stop. I need us to be together, not because you paid me to teach you, but because I paid you to hear your amazing vision. So flipping it, really. Flipping it. You bet. You've also said that it's critical for performers, musicians to be ferociously curious. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm ferociously curious. I, I, I like my students to be me. I mean, that would that you you would assume that you teach to your to your strength. I, I look at music as the matrix, as the roadmap, as the place we go back to to find our way back home. You go on the adventure and the music is the crumbs that you use to find your way back to reality. It's 
unbelievable the adventures you can go on. I think about where my music takes me these days. Uh, 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 last year, my music took me to the Naval Air Station in San Diego when I got on a transport plane and I was flown out into the Pacific Ocean and I landed on the deck of an aircraft carrier where I spent three days exploring and watching that ship function. Not only the aircraft carrier, but the entire battle group. Now, the music got me there and my curiosity got me to have breakfast with the, not the captain of the aircraft carrier, but the commander of the battle group. And when we were there, we were ta talking about what is battle? What, what does it mean to put the best of yours against the best of theirs? Is, can you do this with drones or do you have to put up the most exceptional? And this is the kind of thing you get to do. This is where, this is why you have the underpinning of the music. The music is absolutely crucial whether you're, a, a, whether you're doing it professionally or not because the music allows for the adventure. It's not by accident that Albert Einstein played the fiddle and had a little string quartet. He wasn't very good. It didn't matter. It's the way you move around the universe. It is the matrix that brings you back home from radical thought. God, the music is important, and it kills me that somebody would teach math or science, both of which I love, math, science, physics, without the music. You can't go to these places in the extreme without the music. The music is the core. It must be the first thing you teach. So bringing it back to Berkeley, you know, a place where that is the underpinning, that is the core. Yes. What can a student get here beyond the music? Certainly lessons about life. In comparison to their peers, the thing I love most about Berkeley students is they are fear-free. They don't think they're fear-free, but I hang around plenty of Harvard students. Trust me, next to Harvard students, Berkeley are fear-free. They've seen themselves as creators. They've decided that they want to leave the vertical integration of their family, people who were biologically predisposed to like them. And when they were going to make that transition from their family, to their peer group, the elders said, go to Harvard, become an executive vice president for jet engine part sales for General Electric in North America. And my students went, no way, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a corporate lawyer. I want to be a creator. I want to be the person that weaves the magic for my contemporaries. I want to be one of their gods. And I look at those students who went for that, and I say, yes, I love you guys. Come in, come in, you're so good. And it is good. Berkeley College of Music, 
is a true adventure. Often when students come here, there's a lot of fear out of elders of what will this be good for? And I need people to understand that Berkeley College of Music is a place where you explore from. It gives you the base and the underpinning to surround yourself with real exploration and adventure for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean you're not going to go on and be a doctor or a lawyer, but that musical underpinning gives you a way back home from stunning creative adventures. This episode was engineered by Tony Brown in partnership with The Burn and edited by Darcy Davis. I'm Leslie O'Connell for Inside Berkeley.